0: Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today on Tuesday as we continue through the first chapter of 1 Timothy. Um, Some difficult verses today, uh, not to understand, but in regard to some of the implication that has caused the church to struggle with these verses, um, some very specific things that we'll talk about. And I, I will warn you ahead of time, we are not going to get bog down there, there have been endless conversations spun out of these words, and, and we will talk about that, but um, we are going to focus more on the meaning of what Paul is trying to say here. Just a quick recap, remember that Paul has said to Timothy, there are people who are, are missing the mark, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand, and they're teaching something that isn't in keeping with what I've taught you. And so we we had this preface yesterday verse 8 we know that the law is good if it's used legitimately it actually says the text literally says we know that the law is good if it's lawful in other words if it's according if it's right so then we jump in verse 9 this means understanding that the law is laid down not for the innocent but for the lawless and the disobedient. So let's stop there, Michael. This is vintage Paul, and and I'm sorry to keep bringing up Romans, but Romans is the foundation for how we understand what Paul understands the law to be. So here Paul said, look, if you want to teach the law, the first thing you have to understand about the law is it's for lawbreakers. It's not a secret code. It's not It's not a mystery to figure out. It is plain. It is simple. It is understandable. And it is for people who have broken it. The law functions to call us guilty. The purpose of the law is to show us our sinfulness. That's its only purpose, to lead us to Christ. The law cannot save us. The law cannot deliver us. What the law can do is judge us guilty so that we stand convicted and ready to receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. And as such, Paul is going to give us here a very deep list of what he considers to be some of the more egregious sins that Timothy and the community in Ephesus can witness. And the um, church—Michael, check me here if if I get— if I get caught up the the church has been very concerned almost obsessed recently with the things on this list and it's not that they're unimportant but what paul is saying is listen you law teachers have to understand if you want to make the law if you want to make that your thing then you stand on the wrong side of the fence. You stand with the law breakers. You stand using the law for something that it isn't intended to do, and thereby you break it and you put yourself in the wrong category.
1: Yeah. So we are very much engaging with the depth of Paul's thought here. And and I agree with you, Clint, that we got to be careful to not Cross reference too much. But just to make your point here very, very briefly, I do want to throw up this is Romans chapter seven. Um, and, and this really makes the case that you were just trying to make here. Uh, when Paul asks, you know, is the law sin? He says, by no means. If it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known what sin is. Um, and he talks about using covetousness as an example. You know, if the law hadn't said, don't do this, um, then I wouldn't have known. But then he even goes on to say that um, sin is seizes an opportunity in that commandment, and it produces covetousness. Paul makes another step just to say it's not just awareness or knowledge. There's a real sense in which the law itself drives human nature forward further into the lawlessness. And, of course, Paul later turns in the book of Romans to make the case that uh, that the, the purpose of the law was never to bring salvation. Um, that, by the way, was for Paul, a belief that came post-meeting Jesus Christ. It is likely prior to his encounter with the living Lord that he would have thought much differently about the law. He would have thought of the law as a gift unto itself. But in meeting Christ and seeing the way that he fulfills the law, Paul is able to come back and say, no, that the law actually has a this reverse way of driving us deeper into sinfulness. It is Uh, the grace of Jesus Christ we receive by faith. This is, of course, the central Protestant reading of Romans that we really discover this this, uh, historical kind of understanding of Christ's work in the world. So now, all of that said, sorry for all that background. Now to jump back to Timothy, we're talking here about those who remember our conversation yesterday. Go back if you weren't with us. In that conversation, we dealt with this reality that there are some who are looking for the secret decoder ring, that they're trying to piece together scripture to come up with new insight, new revelation. We believe at least scholars make the case that they're likely uh, they have Jewish experience. If they're not Jewish themselves, they they likely know some of the old Testament, the laws within, but they also seem to be somewhat drawn uh, to a kind of Hellenistic or even Uh, we might call philosophical kind of religion, where it's a lot of head and not very much practice. And so then we shouldn't be surprised as readers. All of that is background. We as readers shouldn't be surprised now when Paul begins to turn the attention to the very actions of the people who are professing to have all of this spiritual or mental knowledge. And he's going to use the case of the division between the two, that in the case where there's a life lived that is disparate or separated from God's best plan, and that person is simultaneously claiming to have special access to God's plan, that that is a schism that needs addressed, that that's a kind of hypocrisy that needs to be noted, that it is the defining marker of what is a false teacher in the midst of the Christian church. So, Whereas the modern church, and Clint, this is to your point, where the modern church has often turned to a text like uh, verses 9 through 11, and we've looked to it as a list of what does Paul think are sins, it is likely that Paul was far more interested in this is evidence of the false teaching that these are offering, and which may seem like a subtle distinction, but I think is essential when you're reading Timothy.
0: Yeah, so before we—we need to get into this list, but before we do, two observations. Keep in mind that Paul is writing not to sinners. Paul is not writing to the lawbreakers. If he were, this would be a different kind of letter. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's explaining something to Timothy about these people that are misusing the law. And he says the first thing they need to understand is the law— is laid down not for the innocent. If you don't speed, it doesn't matter what the penalty for speeding is. If you don't run the stop sign, it doesn't matter what the fine is for rolling through a stop sign. The law is intended for those who break it. And having made that statement, he now makes that case with some of what he considers to be the most obvious and in some ways most destructive A few of these. And we will unpack this list, but let me read it for you. For the law is not laid down for the innocent, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the godless and sinful, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father or mother, for murderers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching. That conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, to w- uh, of the blessed God which He entrusted to me. So, a, a couple of language things here as we get into this. Most of these are relatively self-explanatory. Um, th- there is some conversation about the word kidnappers. It, there's a theory that Paul means slave traders. It's a little bit uncharacteristic of Paul to attack a cultural institution like slavery, but he could have in mind a a particularly vile form of it in Ephesus. That's possible. Um, Also, and no word, I think, on this list in the last 30 years, Michael, has received more attention than the one translated sodomites, also sometimes translated homosexual. In the Greek, this is a reference to the dominant partner in a male-male relationship. Um, Now, there have been endless arguments in the last several decades about whether Paul means homosexuality as we understand it. Whether the ancient world understood homosexuality as we understand it, whether he's arguing about a certain act, possibly even a rape or a temple prostitution situation. Those are out there. And, and I, for our purposes, we're going to leave that. If, if you're interested in those arguments, come and talk to us. We have plethora of books we can point you toward. Uh, articles, we can point you toward commentaries. That word, and whether or not Paul is condemning homosexuality across the board, has received the the vast majority of the attention of this text. And it's not an unimportant question. But what it does is it misses the fact that this is listed alongside a, a a list of other observations of where people go wrong break like the liars perjurers and whatever else is contrary Right, So the idea that you would lift up one thing as especially important or egregious in a list that it is designed to get you to the place where you recognize everything that is contrary to the gospel has, I think, been somewhat counterproductive. I understand it, that the Bible doesn't use that word, but only a few places, and so it obviously, in the midst of our conversations about sexuality, has gotten a lot of attention. But I don't think it serves the purposes of understanding the letter itself or what Paul is doing in this part of the letter to lift up one thing and try and treat this as an on-ramp to that conversation. That's not our purpose here.
1: Yeah. So I think some of the words here that are, are most helpful in setting this list apart are at the very beginning. Uh, that remember the laws laid down not for the innocent, but then these words but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the godless and the sinful, for the unholy and profane. If you were a teacher of the law, maybe the greatest insult would be to be called profane. The idea that you were godless, that you were in the teaching of the law, not even participating in the faith itself, but that you had worked your way outside of the the entire circle of the gospel. When when Paul enters into this argument and he offers us this list of uh, what he would consider infractions, in the moment of doing so, uh, we must as the reader remember that he has people in mind, and if not people with particular names, uh, he certainly has a group of people in mind who he believes are threatening the very life and faithfulness of a congregation. And when it comes to his uh, duty, his responsibility as an apostle, Paul takes very seriously any threat to the body. And I think it's fair to read here uh, how quickly we get to something like not just a murderer, Clint, a murderer of of your mother or father, someone within your very circle. I mean, when Paul reaches for that, he's clearly reaching for an exemplar of of the worst. Now, we come to a text like this, and we do, we fixate on a particular word that has relevance in our own cultural milieu and conversation. It, it seems to us that verse ten is essential to understanding what it means to be a Christian today. I, I would argue that that while we write books and why we debate that, why we're trying to find a foothold forward in those very contemporary conversations, we do often lose the force of what's happening here. And, and I do think, Clint, you're right to point us out that fundamentally Paul wants us, see verse 11, to look to anything that would conform to the glorious gospel. And you and I should at that juncture ask, well, what is the glorious gospel, Paul? We we shouldn't take for granted that we know what this is, and we should also recognize that that adjective describing the gospel is intended as the reader to pull us forward towards it, and, and we're not supposed to get caught in the minefield. We would naturally, as the reader, not want to be included with the, these lists of the evidences of sin. We would want to be drawn forward into this glorious gospel. So it may sound like a kind of rhetorical sleight of hand. And I I certainly hope, and, and Clint, I hope you would agree, that I don't think it is. On one hand, it's important to say, yes, we recognize here that Paul is making a case that there are, there are some examples that come to mind for him of ways in which the gospel's not been heard. But fundamentally, when you're looking at two verses and you miss everything that's come before and all that's going to come after, you may have over in the micro to miss the macro point that Paul's making, that ultimately the law itself can't be trusted. It's only the gospel, who is Jesus Christ, who can lead us forward into salvation.
0: Yeah, I I think if you if you back up, Michael, and you just think, okay, what is Paul saying in this list? And, and again, I, I'm not I I I'm not saying that it's not helpful to have conversations about some of the particular words. You know, Paul says what he says, and and we can argue about what he means by that or what it means that he says it. And that's a that's a church argument. The church has to weigh in on those things and sort those things. What, what does it mean in the 21st century? How do we understand what the Greeks heard in the word fornicator? How do we understand what kidnap, slave trader meant? How do we understand what this word for homosexual meant and means to us? That, that's all well and good. That's important. But think behind that to what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that for each of these people, for each of the people in this category, many of whom, as you said, Michael, he may have certain names in mind, they need the law to point them to Jesus Christ. The law is laid down for the dot, 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 dot for the sinner, for this kind of sinner, and that kind of sinner, and that kind of sinner, and that kind The law is laid down for whatever is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the glorious gospel. Now, we've said it before, but why would Paul say this? Because the purpose of the law is to point sinners to Jesus Christ. It is. It is really that simple. And yes, what kind of sinners, and and is it interesting that Paul thinks these kind of sinners are most representative? Yes, that's instructive. Yes, that's important. Yes, that's a conversation that needs to be had. But behind all that is the simple approach of Paul to say, whatever kind of sinner you can think of, the law is for all of them in order to point us in the direction of conforming to the gospel to take whatever doesn't conform to the gospel of Jesus Christ and move it towards conforming to the gospel of Jesus Christ that that is the essence here that is the point that is the purpose of the law and anyone who teaches different remember connect this conversation with yesterday's con- anyone who teaches different in Paul's words doesn't understand what they're saying they don't know what, they don't understand the law and they don't know what they're teaching because they're taking it in a wrong way including using the law as a club to judge uh, it would be our caution on this side of it and i, I think it, it is it is important i think michael to remind ourselves that paul doesn't take The time to expand on any of these and point out why they're on the list, because that's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to draw attention to the sin. He's trying to draw attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and we should carefully follow him as we read it in order to understand and not be those who are guilty of just what he said yesterday, not understanding the law.
1: So the real downside of the model that we have here, uh, where we study the scripture day by day, in, in especially here in Timothy, um, some smaller chunks is that you miss some of the lo- larger arc. And we're going to get to this, I, and I'm not going to expound upon this more, but it, it is worth noting for today's conversation. Uh, this is verse 15. So this is four verses later. Okay, this is we're looking at a handful of sentences. So this is within the same uh, the same brushstroke. Paul says, um, "Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost." Now we should, in a couple days, have this list in mind when Paul calls himself the foremost of sinners. That is a striking statement. We we should not underestimate the extent to which Paul takes seriously the violence that he's done against the church, the name and notoriety that he earned. And the grace that for him is a reflection of that conversion, that 90 degree turn, that life uh, or 180 degree turn, uh, that, that life shaping, changing reality of Jesus Christ for Paul is greater than all of that sin. When Paul speaks of sin, and the way in which the law calls it out, he is not setting himself apart from it. He's not pointing over to the corner of the room and saying, them, those people are sinful. He counts himself in that number, and that is the source from which he understands the radical grace of Jesus Christ. I, I only emphasize that to say this. The danger of the church taking lists that Paul makes and then beginning to turn them into ecclesial rules without further theological work and, and and that work does need to happen um but the simple step from well Paul said it in a list so therefore it should be this completely discounts the kind of leadership that Paul demonstrates in his correspondence with these churches and i think it, it fundamentally misses the humility of a man who understands how radically he stands in need of grace, how powerful and condemning the law is, and yet how it pales in comparison to the the very sight of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior. So that is the force, I think, that Paul brings to the argument. And as long as we can keep that force in our conversation, then where our interpretation leads us, I think we'll be as faithful as we can be.
0: Right, which is exactly his critique of these People who are misusing the law is that they stand above it, that they think they understand it in some secret way, that they have parsed the the secret meanings of it instead of being judged by it and pointed back to Jesus Christ. They consider that they understand it, not that they are judged by it. And I think you know to see um, that that's a uh, helpful, Michael. To see Paul put himself under the law is, I think helpful to understand why he would think that those who aren't doing that are dangerous to the church.
1: Uh, Thanks for being with us in what is, uh, I think, instrumental and and also challenging reading. Uh, We hope that you'll join us tomorrow as we continue on uh, with our study here through First Timothy. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm.